I'm Brian Marcy, and this is a bonus episode of the Digiday Podcast. Earlier this year, we did a series on building digital products that make money, and we are back with a new series. Over the next four weeks of bonus episodes, I'm going to be speaking with founders of bootstrapped media companies to ask them how they run sustainable businesses. On this kickoff episode, I speak to Jeff Taylor, co-founder and publisher of Courier, a bi-monthly magazine focused on modern businesses and startup culture around the world. Courier is about six years old and has 12 people on staff with a network of contributors globally. I speak with Jeff um, about how Courier is distinguishing itself as a brand, how a small business like Courier can compete for advertising dollars, getting into events, subscriptions, and much more. Hope you enjoy the episode. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good morning. Okay, so we're going to try to do this from a WeWork here in London. Um, there might be some ambient noise. Explain, explain Courier and the idea behind Courier. Yeah, I think uh, the core idea behind Courier is we wanted to be a brand that represented people who want to work and live on their own terms. I was at a point in my career when I started it that I was starting to sort of reject the notion of um, – nine to five in a big sort of corporate job and and a lot of what that carried and a lot of my friends were doing the same when was this uh that was back in 2013 okay uh a lot of my friends were doing the same and And where were you then felt like i was working as like a global cmo for a big um hong kong based conglomerate like mobile phones and um investing in um, various valley businesses and stuff like that and you know i'd get paid a good wage but i'd be running around the world all the time i had was exhausted i just i wasn't doing anything for myself or i wasn't building something that was mine and i wasn't getting a lot of satisfaction out of it and it was that same time when everything from independent coffee shops to you know friends who trained to be i don't know a doctor or whatever was starting to chuck it in and open a jeans brand or you know, uh, begin selling plants or become a carpenter or, or all sorts of different things. And it felt like there was an awakening of kind of ambition mm-hmm. that we didn't have to do sort of what our parents had expected us to do. We could go off and, and sort of have a go at doing something that uh, maybe gave us satisfaction or let us organize our life in a way that we wanted to be organized. And I think, you know, for some people, when you jump ship, there's all these words like startup and entrepreneur. And for some people, money is the driver. But for a lot of people, it's just being able to construct a life mm-hmm. and a working week around what they want. It might be nothing more than just, I want to be a really great parent and be home when my kids get home from school. And I can't do that with a nine to five all the way through to, yeah, I want to be a billionaire. Mm-hmm. How much do you think that was related or if at all to the financial crisis i think the financial crisis was a real trigger for it and it's actually interesting now that we're sort of looking at potentially another downturn or some some tough economic times um coming on the radar that i'm expecting another big wave of this so i think part of it's that but also part of it is some things all happened at the same time. The internet's there now with so much information that you don't have to go to school for four years to learn how to retrain or do something new. There's a lot of people in the value chain that can help you on your path. If you'd had an idea for, I don't know, a snack bar 15 years ago, you would have had to have done everything from learn how to manufacture it, learn chemistry, food chemistry, etc. Now there are people that can help you at every step of the way. So it's a lot easier to go mm-hmm. off and do something. And then I think as well, and I hate this word, but it's just too lazy to not use it. There's sort of millennial and Gen Z values that are much more aligned to you know, screw the sort of um, the narrative. I, I want to go off and do my own thing. And so I think all of that happening at a time of sort of uh, tightening um, economics um, was sort of a, a trigger. 
Okay, so explain. So in, in 2012, it began. What did it begin as? So we started. Um, we really experimented with print, and the reason why we chose print was not because we were fetishists of print. In fact, I had come from a digital, or a lot of what I'd done was digital, but it felt like we wanted to be able to tell aspirational stories and longer stories. And print maybe was the hypothesis was a nice environment to do that in. But the big insight obviously was it's very hard to launch a paid for print title to a generation who don't go into news agents very often. So we started it as a free magazine, albeit a really nice high quality free magazine that we would put into places like Soho, Shortage House or Soho House, cool coffee shops. And we kind of built our own distribution around where the audience was on the hypothesis that it wasn't about print versus digital. It was actually about brands that were in print weren't very relevant to this audience and the distribution mechanic for print walking into a news agent was kind of broken for sub 30 year olds unless they smoked that's okay. the really the only reason people <laughs> under 30 go into a news agent is to buy cigarettes or, okay or now they'll, now they'll vape yeah, yeah you should just like get yeah. distribution at the vape shops yeah, yeah, yeah we'd probably be millionaires <laughs> it's a good circle okay so when did you do move into the magazine so, so we launched the magazine pretty much straight away. We just put 5,000 copies out of our first issue around, um, around Shoreditch, and uh, it went really quickly. So the next issue, we put 10,000 out. That went really quickly as well. And really now we're about, we're about to go to print with issue 27, and it's been a very iterative issue by issue. Print some more. Now you know, we're in paid for. Go to some more countries. We're in, I think, 26 countries around the world now. Um, add more stockists, you know, and just keep sort of growing it kind of another horrible word, organically. Okay. So the ideal is to be a global brand, Yeah. right? So I'm always interested because there's like upsides and downsides to being in New York and being in the United States. I mean, the upside is it's still a gigantic market. It's, it's the biggest market. It's so unbelievably deep. I think the downside is typically, you know, we ignore the rest of the world. Um, UK is a big market, but at the same time, you know, there's an argument that it's better to build a global brand here versus, say, in, in New York. Yeah, I think there's definitely some currency to that in that just by its very nature, any big country is going to tend to be more inward looking. But our readers are really interested in looking We're very outward. inward looking now. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys are yeah. a little bit too, now that I think about it. Um, but, um, but our readers aren't. Our readers are very outward looking. And actually, I think for the territory we serve, there's a lot of really great sort of very focused US business mm-hmm. news and reporting. Uh, you know, we, we kind of think of ourselves as a business title. And we certainly mm-hmm. do, do cover you know, startup but business. But it's like it's lifestyle like yeah. meets yeah. business. Yeah, it's work and live on your own terms. You know, we want to be the brand that helps you dream and consider jumping ship from your nine to five job and when you're ready to jump can kind of on-ramp you into that with skills with connections Mm -hmm. with inspiration with stories it's really lonely making that jump no matter how many friends you've got it's a lonely scary jump but one interesting thing is that this is not like a lot of people in this community don't think of themselves necessarily in this community. So like, yeah. you know, I, I, when I'm walking to work, I have to walk up wall street, uh, and I go by this, this taco truck, King David tacos, and it has a story much like, um, what you're talking about, right. taco card. And then, you know, we're in a, WeWork, work, we're surrounded by people who are making an app and they like, how do you make people see that they're, they're in this community actually, even if they don't, they think they're in different communities. Yeah. Well, I mean, in one way, 
it kind of helps because all those words that the rest of the media use, entrepreneur, startup, all yeah. that stuff, that doesn't apply to any of these guys. They don't think of themselves even, as you say, in business. Instead, it's just the codes we use. It's the people we choose to feature on the cover, the types of stories we tell, um, the other brands that we cover. You know, a lot of times now, I say this to, um, we, we have a, a um, sort of brand strategy and, um, and creative um, side to the business as well. And I'm constantly saying to clients, you, know, you will be defined by the kids company you keep in the playground kind of thing if you're the new kid at school what brands do you hang with and so in a lot of cases the brands that we're covering the brands that are advertising with us etc it, it forms a, a set of signals to readers and, and quite clearly you're either interested in that sort of sector or you're not mm-hmm. how big is this market i it's really hard to quantify it but my gut says it's massive and growing mm-hmm. it's not just a few hipsters in Shoreditch and a few more in Brooklyn. It's much, much bigger than that. And I think the desire and this is beyond, to go off and do your own thing is is huge. And this is beyond the sort of funding bubble because it's not a startup publication, I think, is, is no. what's interesting. In fact, we've, we're not funded. <laughs> that's, the, that's the irony yeah. of it, that we've built an old-fashioned revenues greater than expenses means we get to survive another year and grow off the back of that. And that's true for the vast majority of our readers as well. Right. I mean, th- that media narrative was one of the things that drove us to this. In sort of startup media, there's about three different stories, like teenage kid writes an algorithm, becomes a billionaire, and then yeah. screws up in some way. Um, you know, some company's worth mm-hmm. 100 times and then goes broke. They're, they're very typical narratives, but they're not actually also, narratives very, that apply very, to most people. They're, I, I want to say they're tech-driven, but they're really – VC driven, a lot of yeah. technology, a lot of a lot of publications. I think media brands that are devoted to people starting new businesses are really are really geared to venture capital industry. Yeah. And until very recently, venture capital did mean predominantly tech. Now it means right. D 2 C and other things as well. But it's still very much that sort of logic chain of we want to make loads of money. We're building for exits. We're talking about multiples. It's not the sort of conversation you hear amongst regular people and it's not what our readers necessarily aspire to although certainly if you do there's more than enough in courier to you right. know keep you active and involved and, and hopefully help you on your way I, so you're building this business yourselves without venture funding yeah so far yeah we, we, we will take some investment at the right time but i think always we've felt going at a slower pace that's funded by your own operations was a better way to make mistakes, figure mm-hmm. out your territory. Having an awful lot of money to spend in three years is is yeah. leaves you very punch drunk, and you can waste a lot of money very quickly. Yeah. So how does that end up informing the brand? Because I mean, you're you're part of this community yourselves, and there's a lot of stuff you got to figure out, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, th- I, what I think is interesting about Courier is that you you, you take it from a lifestyle um, sort of point of view, I think, but it also has a lot of practical stuff just packaged in, in a non-dry way. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, time means we've had time to see how advertisers react, see how the magazine moves in various distribution. But I think more than anything, it's meant time to meet readers. We have lots of events and we just talk to our readers. And over that period, we've started to figure out where we can be of service to them in more than just a magazine and in the magazine itself. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a real luxury and that, you know, even just the decision to go into print, had we had all that money, we probably would have been broke after two years because we would have done the traditional thing of big launch, stuck it in thousands of outlets around the world. But time, it just takes time to discover a product, to share it with friends, for advertisers to come around. And in in that sense, I'm very grateful we didn't have all that money mm-hmm. because we wouldn't have had the time that it actually takes. Now, finally, we have advertisers coming to us. We have uh, natural growth in channel. We have outlets asking for us to come in, but it takes time to be right. discovered. But but you need revenue. I mean, revenue is oxygen. Yeah. Cash flow yeah. is oxygen. In order to you know take that time, in order to to get to the point where you figure out the brand, you figure out the community. Yes, and for us, um, I was kind of fortunate, I guess, that I came from sort of creative marketing background, so I was able to bring in work that was quite synergistically aligned. We have a studio. You need right. a studio to do client work. So like agency services. Agency services. We it. do strategy around disruption, around cool B2B. If you're, a, if you're a brand that wants to sort of become like contemporary B2B, uh, if you want to appeal to people who don't necessarily follow the codes of business, we, we tend to specialize mm-hmm. in, in that. And then we produce everything from branded content, branding, um, strategy, product development, all mm-hmm. sorts of bits and pieces. So explain the business model breakdown as it is now. And then, and then let's talk about where you see it going yeah so the business model it sounds like it was very like agency driven from the start it was agency driven from a revenue point of view right. but always the ambition has been to be a modern media brand and the decision to have agency plugged in was as an alternative to bring in investment if that makes sense sure because there are a number of agencies who produce a magazine as kind of a showpiece but really if you if you sort of scratch beneath the surface they're an agency business we're a media business through and through and i can certainly see a time when we either don't have an agency business or our agency business is sort of off in a satellite but not okay not caught in the business. But, but for now the agent like explain the breakdown between agency services advertising and other revenue so services. this year i mean i bear in mind we've been in paid for for 12 months so we're yeah. still a relatively young title we're a bi-monthly magazine so that's we're about to put our seventh paid for issue out into the marketplace in 26 countries by the end of this year with events with um subscriptions reader sales um and advertising we will cover about 60 percent of our costs um, and fund growth from that line, an agency will make up about 40% of our revenues. Okay, where do you see that then going? Like, where do you see the growth areas coming as you sort of morph into more of a, you know, I think you probably have a media business, but yeah, a lot of times, you know, the revenue is still coming from from the agency services. Well, I think we're in a fortunate place, and I'd like to say, you know, smart enough to figure this out at the start, but actually it's just quite lucky that, we're in a territory that people spend a significant amount of money anyway, and there are no major brands that necessarily um, sate some of that demand. So, for instance, if we're a fashion title, it's very hard as a fashion title to move into fashion retail, etc., mm-hmm. etc. There's really great players there already. Arguably, some of them are doing as good, if not better, a job at the media side than the media titles in that category. When you start a business, there are things you spend on. You spend to train yourself, you spend on on services, you spend on information, etc. We are a fairly natural place to manifest some of that demand uh, for some of those services. So I think education and training will launch our first course this year. 
that'll be a big thing for us. Events, we had our first festival um, in September last year. We had 1,500 people come along as paying guests um, to a big uh, career festival. We're going to launch more events in more markets. Uh, so the ad side is certainly growing very nicely for us in print. As we roll digital out, you know, we will grow revenues in that area as well. But um, training, um, education, uh, events, that there'll be big lines for us. And we'll launch a membership proposition at some stage. So we'll move from subscription to membership and we can give an awful lot of value to our members mm-hmm. in information, in um, networking with other um, readers, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very like-minded tribe, so it right. makes things a bit easier. I mean, I mean, we're in WeWork right now. This yeah. is their proposition, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is, but I don't know. It's a very different tone to our readers and our our kind of vibe. Right. Uh, Explain well, that. Well, I, I think... Because we've d- discussed before, I have this sort of like... I don't know if it's a love-hate relationship with, with WeWork, but... Um, I think some of it is, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, we, we began in, in a WeWork and our, yeah. our team here is, is in a WeWork, although we're moving uh, to a different office. But um, I think WeWork is a fascinating ecosystem yeah. as a business. I don't really f- totally understand it at its valuation, but I'm not in that business. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I would compare WeWork to Starbucks and McDonald's, and I say that with the utmost respect for yeah. all three of those businesses. They perform a mass market generic job. Um, at, a, at a price point. Uh, they're not like McDonald's in that, you know, it's, it's quite a high price point here. You can get a, a lot of uh, a lot of office space a lot cheaper than you can. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, we were I, in I a Regis, so I know. Right, okay, yeah, there you go. So there's no kombucha on tap, but apart no, from that, it's a similar concept. There's a desk, none. there's a door. Sometimes a functioning toilet. Yeah, um, and so I think these places are great. I, I do have a bit of a um, theory that a lot of the tenants in a lot of these buildings are not actually startups they are bigger more established businesses who need extra space for an incubator it's a bank who doesn't want to sign on 12 more floors at the moment so that takes place that a lot of it's actually flexible corporate space Mm -hmm. as much as genuine startup now that's not to say in a lot of shared workspaces there isn't a lot of genuine startup going on including i'm sure in wework but um Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that there's the brand loyalty there particularly the the wework investment model says you know, we're building up all this brand loyalty. I don't see a lot of sort of synergy yeah. between the customer base no, or I our always, customer base yeah, and I, these I, brands. Yeah, I always joke that like, you know, the problem with the WeWork model is is the day you leave a WeWork is the day you celebrate as a yeah, company. The, you know, and go, that, yeah. that seems like a very strange business to be in. Yeah. Um, but but getting back to to the, the current situation, you th- you're betting like when the economic downturn comes that we're not going to see that. Usually you end up seeing people flee back to safety you know all of a sudden the big company uh with its health care and and pension or 401k like looks a lot more attractive when um when the economy is not as great oh look i'm sure there's certainly some of that some people who maybe took the big leap and then find they can't make it work in a downturn but what was different especially about last downturn and i suspect whether we're about to go into one or whenever the next you know inevitable downturn happens is those big corporate jobs aren't necessarily there so much now. You were seeing larger businesses cutting workforces. That was a real, deter- uh, a really dominating factor of the last downturn, and we'll see it again this time. This notion that you know maybe for um, people in their sort of forties and, and above who grew up thinking that permanent lifetime employment you know, existed in these big um, big corporations, it's it's quite the opposite now. And I think that's also differentiated between there is a small group of 
upper middle class professionals who jump ship and open a, a whatever and that's great but the market is much bigger than that you know there is increasingly just a mass movement to doing things on your own some of that's choice but a lot of it is just necessity right so over the last six plus years what is something um that people maybe don't appreciate about you know bootstrapping a media business I think people don't realize how hard it is to get advertisers. I think often people start a a media business and think, oh, well, advertisers are just pretty easy. Just ring them up and they, you know, they take space. (laughs) It's really hard as as the little guy. I mean, we're we're very fortunate in that. You got to over deliver. Yeah, and we we got that early on, and so we've over invested in in a commercial team. We have you know a great couple of guys in our commercial team, but it's still hard. Media agencies don't want to deal with small titles. You know, it's not efficient to do one brand buying in one magazine. They want they want to sell seven brands across twelve titles. You know, in a bulk deal. So you have to over deliver and you have to have a proposition that's really different. And again, we're fortunate that over time, we've been able to evolve this cell that says, look, my people, you can't get them in most of your other media buyers. This this isn't an audience who's also reading 10 other things. Their alternative to to reading my magazine is, um, is being on Instagram or Netflix or being out and about doing things. So we've got a very, very precise cell, but you know, it's hard work. Advertising is hard work. What, what, give us an example of some of the, the kinds of clients we're talking about that where it totally makes sense to be in career. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's that um, uh, we, we sit in a place of sort of professional lifestyle. I don't know what you want to call it. The idea early on was in a declining print market, we had to be able to attract advertisers from a number of categories that, you know, a lot of magazines are just stuck. If you're a fashion title, you just have fashion advertisers. If you're a, I don't know, woodworking title, I guess you just get craft advertisers. We are designed so that we can have everything from a major bank or a car company up front all the way through to fashion and lifestyle brands down the back. One thing that's been really surprising is the number of D2C and smaller brands who are advertising with us as their only print. So they'll do Instagram, they'll do um, outdoor and um, travel, um, you know, like tube cars and things like that. And they'll go into courier as well. And they're not buying us as a print buy. They're like actually D2C? buying us as a Like why, why would it like... Well, yeah, because you think about like a lot of D2C is, um, is uh, you know, I think the irony of D2C is outdoor is a really big medium for a sure. lot of D2C brands. And they buy us as an extension to an outdoor campaign. We're found in the same sort of areas that they're advertising in already. It's the same audience that they're trying to get to. And that's where actually we've had real breakthroughs with media buyers when media buyers sort of go, oh, we don't think of you as a print title. We think of you as an extension to outdoor um, or we think of you as an extension to a digital campaign because your audience is, is in those territories that we're trying to advertise to. Mm-hmm. How about digital? I mean, where it's it's not as big of a component as most uh, yeah. uh, media businesses, so it's sort of a, a counterintuitive bet. Um, where where what is it? What role does it play now in the model and where do you see it playing like down the road? I'm, the thing I'm really proud of and what we've done in digital is we've spent under £10,000 to be in not very advanced <laughs> digital place. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we could have spent half a million and still been not, sure. in a not very advanced digital space when you're early on. We have one core digital product, which is our email. It goes out every Friday. It's an editorial product in its own right. Uh, it's a little briefing on, on five stories of modern business for the week. Um, we've grown that dramatically it gets between a 45 and 60 percent opening rate depending on um what's in it we um are very careful about um having brands involved in it and that's been 
there's been a really great strategic move for us in digital. There's something about email that allows you to have a if you if you invest, I think trust um, in the audience and, and you you invest in a quality product, you get something you get the right to talk to your audience every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly we couldn't have um, sold the tickets for our festival, for instance, had we not had the email product. The magazine right. didn't move tickets. People buy stuff from email. People buy buy stuff from email yeah. when you're careful about it. Sure. You know, um, well, it's too. We, I always we watch the unsubscribe rate yeah. right, very very carefully. Yeah, it can be too effective. It can be way too effective. And I think all those brands that you know you get you do the um, honor of signing up and then they're emailing you five times. A week. Right. I just don't need that much West Elm furniture or you know whatever whatever the uh, whatever the uh, the brand is that I've signed up to. So email really important for us, and I think it's been a good sort of stepping point into digital. We are not print fetishists remotely, and I think there is an enormous opportunity for us in digital. Um, but I think we want to find digital products that are kind of the yin to the prince yang, if that makes sense. Like I think this rush to just replicate everything in digital then either worry about paywalls or worry about becoming part of the newsfeed is not for us. And I think that's that's what's confounding about media. Everyone's story and example is different. That won't work for us. We don't have a five stories a day place in someone's mm-hmm. feed. But I think we can build tools. We can build resources and assets. And we can build networking tools amongst our members that can be enormously valuable in digital, and, and that would, as well as hosting our content online. Right, and that could lead then to the membership model. That's right, and that's where you see a membership model coming together. I, I want to build an Amazon Prime like, you know, so much value for a, a reasonable price that you'd just be crazy not to have a career membership, and you can do that if you're not sort of facing marginal costs to supply mm-hmm. you know each additional member and in the case of great digital content great networking platform tools things like that once they're built they're built you'd one festival right um yeah. what, what's the role that you see uh, the live events slash experiential playing oh there's there's so much fun to do there's, it was so great to bring the whole magazine to life. We had everything from three stages of speakers, um, really inspiring talks, um, but then really useful workshops like how to hustle. We had a whole session on just oh, how no. to hustle. You know, that's Gary classic Vaynerchuk career. Yeah, you know, no, 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 we didn't. We didn't have Gary along. It was different, different sort of hustle. Um, uh, all the way through to we had a brand marketplace, which was a real experiment for us. We um, we set up fifty stalls and we just let um, loads of um, smaller businesses sell everything from pajamas to craft beer to dog treats it went crazy we we did a lot of turnover there um uh, we had a food um food mall um etc so i think it was great to bring um bring all the readers together and i think what was really exciting was to see people meeting people friendships and partnerships evolving on the floor of the event the number of sort of stories we got back going oh i met such and such it's incredible i'd read about them before we're going to go off and do this together uh, has really made us realize there's a lot of value in bringing the community together and giving them um sort of really great value at those points it's also great for us it's the only time we get to meet our audience yeah so it's great for us to just get out and see who they are right. talk to them and get feedback now i always think with events it's that's uh an underappreciated aspect yeah and i mean events it. is like core part of you guys's dna as well you know right. the sort of you know the power of events i think but then again there's a lot of events out there and the brief for courier live was how do we 
you, we, we did it on a Friday afternoon. How, how do we give someone so much value in that afternoon that they go away saying, actually, that was a good use of my time? Because the number of events I've been to right. that I've come away from going, the food was rubbish, the toilets were dirty, the speakers weren't very good, I just wasted a day of my life. Now I've got to spend Saturday doing email to catch up. Right. So that, that was our brief was like make it so that um, people would happily mm-hmm. you know, invest that time with us again. So how big is the team now? There's 12 of us now, plus 12. lots of freelancers. And and that's how you get the global coverage. Yeah. Yeah. So we've built, um, we've built a, a network of about um, 30 um, sort of, I don't know, um, contributors around the world. We've built up um, little black books of photographers, stylists, etc. in various markets. And I think that's the way to do a modern global media brand. It's mm. not to open offices everywhere. It's to it's totally on brand for us. It's they're, yeah. they're, they're our readers as well. Most of our contributors, they're doing exactly what we're talking about. Uh, some of them have got two or three different jobs, and uh, and Korea gets to be a part of that. Yeah. So, so I have to ask the U.S. question because I'm from the U.S. Um, can that model work with expanding into a market as as big and competitive as the U.S.? What what model? Well, the model of 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 relying on on yeah. freelancers. Yeah, I think so, and that's not to say we wouldn't have physical presence. You know, I think um, uh, to do the US, you need to be in the US, and mm-hmm. so we will look at um, putting some permanent presence into the US. Later and most of your year. clients are in London, not in in um, New York. The majority of our clients are in London or Europe. Okay, but we get a lot of global buys, and so that. You know, that's something that can translate. Also, I think we wouldn't probably do market-specific versions of the magazine, but print technology makes it much, much easier to flex on an ad page basis now. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wouldn't preclude. New York is our second biggest market already um, for issue sales. As that grows, I wouldn't, you know... Uh, not consider doing a you know different ad flex right for the north american market uh final thing is what's a what's a media business that you admire you know what i really like is a title that no one hardly talks about it's not it's not a cool title to talk about it's called milk street it's um it's done by a guy called christopher kimball who started um i think it was cooks illustrated originally and it's a really smart business he he sort of occupies this place of um I'll teach regular people how to cook in you know a, a, a kind of expert fashion. So he's got technicians who figure out the perfect temperature to scramble eggs at yeah. and what the surface should be, etc. And then he has a brilliant um, sort of set of mediums. He has a public TV um, program. He has a radio show and a podcast. He has a beautiful magazine that comes out. Uh, and then he sells you cooks equipment. He has courses. It's a really holistic sort of brand approach to solving a problem for a certain audience. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that you know, I get quite inspired by is how you can both entertain but also really um, become so essential from a rational point of view in someone's life that uh, you, you kind of become their their partner. And then there's lots of like little titles. I really love, there's a magazine called Lunch Lady at the moment that I'm just um, okay. obsessed with. It's a beautiful little independent magazine out of, um, I think it's out of Australia. Um, there's lots of sort of smaller magazines, but I think um, it's hard to find many examples of small magazines transitioning to um, media brands. Right. It's, it's media brands that I get get excited about cool jeff thanks so much no problem my pleasure 
Thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Songal. This is, again, a special series of bonus episodes on how bootstrap media companies are running profitable businesses. Please do send us your feedback. We are always interested in hearing your thoughts. And also, while you're at it, if you could rate us and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, we would really appreciate it. Uh, you can also write me. I am Brian at Digiday.com or tweet me. I am at BMRC. Um, and of course, you can always reach me on my favorite social network, LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.